Hello and welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. I'm Oscar Bromo, and today my guest is Luke Handy of Being. He also runs Skeleton Dust Records, which started out as a noise label and is now a full retail shop in Dayton, Ohio. Luke is also a member of Heat Signature with Brad Griggs and Harness with Shane Church. If you're a fan of White Centipede Noise Podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash whitecentipedenoise. All right, so Luke, welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, um, we had you here with Stefan and Brad on one of my first episodes together, um, talking about your kind of trifecta harsh noise groups, heat signature, action discipline. And so we were able to kind of talk one-on-one a bit about you know, being in, in, in your activities, but not as in-depth as I would have liked. So glad you're back and we can we can go into all that much more. Um, Thanks for indulging my ego. <laughs> you're a very humble guy. And you did mention, I think, on that podcast or in private, I can't really remember, but something we've kind of talked about on and off, you know, over the, the years, um, is that you kind of mentioned that at some point being less enthusiastic about noise than you had in the past. And you've always been a really kind of like, you know, you're a noise lifer. That's, that's clear that you're really into it and, and love it from your, you know, deepest core, but that for some time you kind of just weren't as excited about it. And, you know, it probably had something to do with your, you know, opening the record shop, Skeleton Dust, which, which deals in all sorts of types of music. But, um, can you talk a little bit more about that feeling and, and, and why that was? And then if that's changed at all since you last kind of brought that up or talked to me about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think just in general, it's just sort of changed. Maybe not. Um, it hasn't lessened over the years, like uh, my interest in noise or fanaticism with noise, but it's just changed, I think. Um, and yeah, certainly the record store was a big part of that. Um, and for many different reasons, I think being surrounded by other types of non-noise music um, more consistently, like this has influenced what I'm interested in listening to on a daily basis. And uh, just what I appreciate in general, uh, having the store is like really, really opened my mind to a lot of different types of music that I didn't think I would enjoy before. Um, so I think there was just a long period of time where I certainly enjoyed things outside of noise, but that was kind of the main um, interest I had, I guess. So I was just really focusing hard on that and yeah, being sort of surrounded by noise still with the store, maybe, made me jaded or something about it in a way. Um, you know, I guess just like when you're surrounded by something or it just gives you a different perspective on things. Um, maybe also when you're, when you're like kind of reliant on selling it for your, for your living. Yeah. 
it's uh, like a commodity and yeah becomes more of a commodity than and like a creative outlet and so i think in some ways like i'm really really happy i have the store and it's probably the best decision i've ever made career wise in my life but yeah it certainly killed it for me in a way you know like the just adding all the business and having to like pay my bills with selling noise and other yeah. types of music. Um, yeah, it's, it's taken away some of the magical feeling of it. I, that I would get, um, I wish I still get in different ways, like, you know, listening to noise that I really enjoy, like by myself, like in my car when I'm driving or going to shows, um, you know, having shows at the store or playing live sets I still get yeah. the feeling that we all know that kind of like unspeakable feeling of why we love noise so much, but it's yeah. certainly the day to day of buying and selling noise and just the capitalism of that, the sort of like the scene stuff probably as well. Like the, yeah. And that's changed. It's just changed so much even in the last 10 years, like, social media really really changed things around a lot in a lot of ways like um kind of missed the old forum days like you know when it was just a forum um yeah it's really nice having like the internet to connect people in the noise world i'm really grateful for that and just can't even imagine what it was like pre-internet days when that was so much harder to network with people and connect and um but you know I think that the social media has um, obviously it's been, it's good in some ways that you share information and you can sell stuff. And, but I don't know, you know, it's just kind of like overwhelming, I guess, compared to yeah, just going on a forum and doing it that way. I, I was talking about this and thinking about this a lot recently. Um, I was writing with someone, about and I think it was after the the interview with Saudi and I don't right but I was writing with someone who we were talking about that that issue of kind of the lack of talking about noise and lack of reflection on noise even though we're on you know social media has become like the dominant form and I one thing that kind of dawned upon me and I I wrote this to him and I would I I think a big factor of it well I love forums I still think forums are so so important and they're still around and the reason one of the reasons I really think they're so valuable and noble is that there's no images on there and you can't really present yourself or your ego i mean you can and it's not like there aren't people who get kind of egotistical and act like dicks on forums but i think really what social media unfortunately boils down for for a lot of people is like it still has some element like they're trying to find they're trying to be sexy. Mm-hmm. Like they're yeah. trying to be present. Like, like I really think like that is behind the psychology of a lot of it. Like just to be seen by other people and be attractive or interesting to other people. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people really gravitate towards it, even if they're not actively doing that. Whereas mm-hmm. on a forum, you really don't have any of that. You don't have any of that cool. You don't have the ability to make yourself look cool or seem cool Mm -hmm. or kind of cultivate 
an image at all. I mean, very minimally, maybe with what you write and things like that. But, but that's you really have people on forums writing text about something they're obsessed with. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there you just get so much more serious, mm-hmm. serious thought and and dedicated minds and active. And you get a lot of people that that shit on forums that are like, "Oh God, fucking forums!" You know, it's so nerdy or it's so lame or 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 toxic or whatever i mean i don't know but there's a certain amount of people that really like think that's like really low and for some reason think like instagram think instagram is really like the the way to go because you can be kind of like detached or just post a picture of yourself doing something with no comment and just like kind of let people figure it out i mean i don't know but it's the the uncoolness I think of forums are really it's 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 quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had no I idea mean, there was a contingent of people that make fun of forums, like online forums, and and put like social media as like a a better option. I don't know if they how actively they do it, but I mean, I notice a lot of the people that are very active on social media mm-hmm. with their you know noise projects or activities are not present on forums and i have seen kind of just i have seen those i have seen noise forums just that kind of term used in kind of like a derogatory manner like i'm not on the noise forums or whatever like i'm not on that i'm not all out here talking on the noise forums all the time like Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you're out here on instagram posting stories all the time about you know your little collection or activities or or what you're working on so yeah there's a certain dichotomy there. And I think it's a younger crowd on Instagram and an older crowd on forums. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? uh, I think like just uh, it uh, boils down to the ease of using each of those platforms. You know, it takes a little bit more work to go onto a forum and especially to post something, but even it takes, yeah. it takes more, just to read a forum because you have to select you know what room you want to go into or the category you want to read and you know we get our phones out it's just like the endless you know just using one thumb like absorb as much content as you can you know without even really thinking about it but like on a forum it's like more of a conscious thing where you're going on there to seek information that's broke down into groups um so it just takes more work you know, and I kind of, I'm sorry ahead. to interrupt you, but another one big difference though, is that on forums, you don't have the ability to receive much confirmation or affirmation mm-hmm. of what you yeah. do or say, or give that like mm-hmm. they, at least the ones that I'm on or familiar with, I mean, maybe they're, you know, some maybe have some sort of like like button to post it, but but for the most part, no, you you just write something and mm-hmm. then maybe someone responds or or most of the time not. I mean, and then people read it. You don't know how many people have read it, what they think about it, unless they unless they also get engaged. Whereas, you know, that dopamine hit of the of the you know, you post something effective and then how much likes do you get, um, I think is also very attractive to people. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a big difference is the lack of a dopamine, as big of a dopamine fix with using like a forum than social media, which is purely based around affirmations. And I mean, I know like, you know, it's there to share information, but also, yeah, the reactionary part, like you mentioned. Yeah. But I will say that I think that, you know, if everyone likes dopamine and everyone likes affirmation and needs it, I mean, it's not like being, I will say the, the, the amount of satisfaction that you can get, I think from someone, even just one or two people for say, like writing a little review of your release on a forum or something you've done on a forum, I think massively outweighs the satisfaction of posting it on Instagram and getting a bunch of likes. Like when I, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I don't know if I'm fortunate, but I really, really enjoy the fact that, you know, Tuesday after I air the podcast without fail on, you know, a couple message boards, I'll go on there and see people talking about the podcast from the day before and like the, the, the topics we talked about or, you know, whatever. And for me, that even if it's not a ton of people, it's just a few people. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's, that is a huge <laughs> dopamine yeah. hit for me. I mean, and, and like, even I remember doing, you know, when I re- release something, when I see one person that writes a review mm-hmm. about either a release that I've made as, as, as wince or, or release on white savvy noise, like having seen a, f- a couple people just take the time to write something out, their thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, really valuable. Yeah. And lasting, I feel, you know, like that, that, that gives me something actually to hold on to. I, mean, I think there's also kind of a, a pe- you know, people have kind of expressed to me that they feel frustrated that, you know, they'll release something that they've worked really hard on and it'll go out there and maybe it'll sell well. Um, maybe it'll sell out. Maybe, you know, it'll get kind of a lot of people posting pictures about it mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks on Instagram. But, but I think there's also like a, a lack of feeling like, oh, well, well, but what do people think? And maybe that's selfish to think that, you know, you're entitled to a lot of feedback or 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 praise or crit- critique or whatever. But I mean, that is something I think every artist or person who does anything creative wants to, I mean, you want to get that. Yeah. And the forums, you get that in smaller doses, but when you get it, I think it's it's so much more rich and, and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the written word is very powerful. I mean, it's arguably is. more powerful than images, you know, because it it is more yeah. meaningful if if you go onto like a forum and you see that somebody has posted an unsolicited review of a release you put out or you put out on your label, versus somebody on Instagram, you know, posting a story of the picture of whatever it is and then saying like this shit slaps or whatever you know like the yeah that, that somebody put into yeah. going to the forum and actually writing about it like yeah the, i mean it's just it's noticeable and more meaningful so everybody out there use forums they're like super super important i think and yeah we're lucky Absolutely. that we still have a few places that are we're still really active with noise even though we've over the years have watched 
forums come and go, but I feel like it's a, it's at a good spot right now. Yeah. Surprisingly for 2023, who would have known? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. I do agree. This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by Absurd Exposition Label and Scream and Ride Distro. There are four new CDs now available on Absurd Exposition. Dodge Jones Rage, West Coast Power Outage 5, the power trio of Chris Dodge, Mason Jones, and William Rage return to AE with another dose of psychedelic circuit overload. Neural, H2T, an unreleased session from 2001. Recorded by Howard Beilerman at the infamous Hotel to Tango Studios in Montreal. Fold. To favor the occurrence, Neural's harsh noise is formulated by the give and take of restraint and control. With his alter ego as Fold, Alan Bloor uses the same techniques to create ambient soundscapes rich with the tactility of their found metal sources. Rosalka, Base Waters. Reissue of the 2019 LP. Using a theremin as a centerpiece, Kate Rissek leads us into a harsh noise odyssey of oceanic depths. Visit ScreamAndWrite.com for all four CDs and a distro of over 2,200 items, servicing the international noise community at large. In your observation of noise as a record store owner, but also as a noise fan, uh, how do you feel about what's happened in the past few years. Let's I mean, let's use COVID as kind of a marker. I mean, that's cliche, mm-hmm. but it's very, very still relevant. And we've talked about this also kind of in private is that, uh, you know, what did you experience as a record store owner, first of all, over that period until now? And what did you kind of witness also in terms of noise, like both artistically and not just in terms of sales, but also kind of in terms of creativity? What have you seen happened in the past few years what's your take on it uh i mean you know certainly there was like a noise boom that coincided with the pandemic and i mean was selling stuff like crazy around that time um you know yeah right when the pandemic hit through i don't know maybe a year year and a half so after after that uh yeah so like just from a commerce standpoint, it was selling a lot of stuff and people were feverish with wanting to buy new noise releases. And there was tons of stuff coming out, like high quality releases coming out. Uh, like, I mean, I feel like that's like, um, the resurgence of Tronics kind of coincided with the pandemic too, when they really just started cranking out tons of good, good stuff. Um, which has since, you know, uh, the whole commerce aspect has definitely died down. And I think that just goes with the typical uh, wave fashion of the noise scene, you know, the ups and downs. So this, we've talked about that many times before, how there's high yeah. levels of popularity and then it just kind of goes away. And it's always like cyclical, it seems like. Um, so... But create like the artistic aspect. Um, I'm not sure what I if I have any strong like thoughts about that. I there's certainly a lot of good noise that was coming out and still coming out. Um, but I don't see like a um, big change in how things were happening artistically. I guess. Yeah, 
Um, I know you like mentioned, it. I mean, I, I talked about it on the last episode with Jim from Slacking, but I mean, I remember talking to you maybe two or three years ago and before Slacking had released anything really publicly or at least that I noticed. And you were like, oh, this guy's Slacking. He's sending me some stuff. It's, it's really fucking good. It's really kind of bizarre and different. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he's quite active and quite quite public. But do you have you seen kind of a any sort of new flavors or or approaches or styles to noise that that you think are kind of unified or have some some legs or lasting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mean, I think like what Jim is doing that sort of like strange sound uh, as people describe it as like the strange bizarre noise kind of stuff that harkens back to the days where of early noise where the foundations weren't really laid down yet and things were a lot more free and open as far as like people weren't as pigeonholed in the subgenres like like they are a lot these days and so i do that that is actually one thing that you know uh, the weird side of noise being embraced more by people and people taking more chances with what they're doing. And, uh, you know, like worse is like an obvious example, uh, even though he's been active for many, many years, but I think people see sort of like a beacon of that. I, uh, way of thinking about sound and, um, yeah, I think worth was the guy was the, I don't know. That's not the godfather, but I mean, when he came out the Blinder LP, that was kind of at a time when harsh noise generally was at a lull, and particularly mm-hmm. kind of wild, unusual. I mean, when that came out, and just the fact that he put his money into an LP, which also at the time was kind of rare, because it was like, well, who's going to buy, you know, there's not really, who's going to buy it? harsh noise lp right now and he put mm-hmm. out that crazy purple lp with you know like the and it's such a violent fucked up crazy record i think at that time that that for me was like kind of like the that kind of broke open the floodgates i feel for a lot in terms of just listening but also a lot of creativity Mm-hmm. Not that any, not that anyone has copied Worth, but a lot of just creative, creatively free and and um, yeah, like you said, I think risks being taken mm-hmm. by noise artists. And har- not, I mean, and, and harsh noise artists. I think that's you know to 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 make that differentiation. I think when we talk about noise, I mean, sometimes I talk very specifically about oh, this isn't happening in noise. This isn't happening in noise. And and I guess I'm talking about like harsh noise, like. If we want to really kind of talk about everything that might be considered noise, there's probably a lot that I don't know about or follow as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I'm talking about like, you know, the, the violent, loud, harsh stuff mm-hmm. having a different characteristic. I think, I think, I think that blinder LP was like a big, I don't know, milestone in the, in, in mm-hmm. things, how they've developed. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm yeah yeah for sure um there's still all the you know subgenres, i guess and within harsh noise that people 
are still doing, but yeah, it seems like maybe a little bit more open, open-ended now as far as like what people are doing and maybe less focus on styles. Like maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. Yeah. There's still noise. So this will probably air uh, a couple days after you've done it, but you have been quite inactive with being your, your solo project for the past several years. I don't know about playing live, but in terms of recording for sure, I mean, I don't think there's been a new being recording in a while. And I don't know. I don't, I feel like there hasn't been a new uh, being set in quite a while, but you're going to be playing live this coming weekend. You're playing a slacking pain appendix and no copula. What's uh, what's the what's going on with being right now? What's the current status of being? And how are you preparing for this show? Uh, I just decided to do that on a whim because uh, Paulo Servatus from Nashville was supposed to play that show and they had to drop. And normally, I would just find somebody else to play in my place and. Um, But I couldn't, I just, I don't know why. I just didn't even think about it. And I was like, I'll just do a being set. And um, that's that. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'll probably, I have my gear set up downstairs, but and I'll probably, you know, rehearse a little bit before the set and everything. But yeah, I don't know. I just decided to do it. Um, I guess that's, just, that's where I'm at with the project right now. I don't really feel like a strong urge to... Um, keep up with a regular release schedule or like, um, um, consciously trying to like keep it active. Cause I think I felt that way for a long time. Um, yeah. wanting to like stay relevant and be active with the project and, you know, make sure I put out releases every so often. So people don't think that uh, like I'm done with it or whatever. And I've had like a lot of very nice offers from people to release being stuff over the years. And, a lot of people I said yes to, and I've not fulfilled the, the that promise of submitting material for releases. And um, so I think I just got to a point where I was like, I'm just gonna like just put this on pause right now because obviously I'm not really doing anything with it, and um, and I'll just kind of return to it whenever I want to return to it. And I think that's just how I'm gonna treat it now. Like I still like doing it, and it's fun, but I don't really feel like a desire to like try to stay relevant or I don't know. I just, I feel like it, it's more pure if I just do it when I want to do it and, and not really care about anything else that much. Um, yeah. Have you ever felt, I mean, I feel like a lot of your releases, it seemed very, it, it's very focused project, but also it seemed like you, you, you made conscious efforts across releases to kind of do different things or, or different styles or mm-hmm. kind of like almost like there was a goal of something like, like you, I don't know how to describe it. But you kind of adopted a certain style or a, a certain goal for release. And they're quite very varied between, you know, it wasn't like you were just turning out the same, same thing over and over. Do you, mm-hmm. did that, kind of uh, did you feel like you were maybe not sure what you wanted to 
to to do or say with it anymore or do you feel like you want there's something you you still want to do new with it at this point yeah i mean i think i was a definitely a reason why i kind of slowed down because i felt like i was i ran out of ideas basically um and i did like the i've always seen the project even though it's always been like a harsh noise thing mostly i've seen it as an experimental uh, project in the sense that just like when I first started getting into noise and like the a similar experience that many of us have had is the experimentation with sound. And so I tried to continue doing that. Um, even though I got my footing with, you know, understanding equipment and techniques better, I still wanted to keep things fresh when I was doing the project. And yeah, I guess there's sort of phases of the project where I try different methods of creating the sound and that was always really important to me just to keep things fresh and I've always made an effort to change my gear setups around a lot like the pedal chains and just to yeah. try different things and keep it fresh all the time because I I don't want to get stuck in doing the same thing every time it's good to like explore something for a little bit and sort of perfect it or uh, fine tune it a little bit, but then after a while, it's like I don't want to be doing the same thing, playing the same set, putting out the same recordings over and over and over again. Yeah, but I also feel like if if it ain't broke, don't fix it either. Attitude as well with noise. Like I don't think people need to reinvent the wheel with what they're doing. I b- definitely believe in if you if you do it well and if it's not an original idea, that's totally cool with me. I. I appreciate yeah. and enjoy noise like that a lot too. Are there things you want to do with it? Or do you, do you see yourself trying to push it in a, in a new direction for you personally? I don't know. I don't really have any ideas, <laughs> uh, how to do that. Really. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, I don't have anything yet. Really. I'm not sure what yeah. I'm going to do. For the show, I think I'm just going to more or less play what I use in Heat Signature, but just do it in a solo capacity. Yeah, I want to talk to you afterwards uh, to see how it felt and, you know, what what mm-hmm. you what you think after doing it. If you're, if the beast has been awakened or if it's kind of like, all right, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Do it again. It's down the road or whatever, but mm-hmm. happy to see that you're Happy to see you're playing again, for sure. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I really love doing heat signature a lot. And so I think that's kind of been a part of why I don't feel a need to do Bean as much anymore. Because heat signature has has given my interest in noise a lot more, like, purpose and meaning, I think. Like, it's the first time I feel like I've I've been in a band, I guess. I feel like I consider heat signature a band. And, um, just all the elements of it, um, the visual aspect and the themes and it just became, I'm a lot more meaningful to me than, uh, being, which is honestly kind of an anonymous thing. I don't really, there's not much, there's not like many themes behind it. They're pretty loose and abstract and visually speaking, I mean, there might, there's not much of one really, but he heat signature just became just a lot more important to me, I guess. And 
Yeah, it's very focused too. Yeah, and Brad's like really good at noise, so I don't have to work as much about being like an amazing solo artist when you have somebody incredible to (laughs) to fall back on (laughs) doing good noise beside you. So yeah. With being, what are some of your most important recordings or recordings that you're most proud of? And and what what can you tell me about Battery Cages, that series of recordings? Battery Cages, I guess it was the... That was the first tape I ever put out with a project. And... I I mean, there's not much meaning behind it, I guess. Um, I think I was just like reading through like a book one day, reading something maybe online, and it was talking about like factory farms and uh, battery cages. It was like the first, uh, it was the first time I ever heard of that term, like a series of cages connected together uh, that are often electrified too, which is pretty horrifying to think about. Um, but you know, I, I think at the time when I was younger, I thought it was kind of an edgy sort of idea and thing. Uh, it didn't, I don't know. It doesn't really mean much of anything other. I just decided to continue it as like a series of tapes that I put out. Um, and I guess it was just like a thing where it was all stuff that was going to be on skeleton dust and not on another label. So uh, became sort of a series. Um, I thought there about, any sonic, like, or process-wise consistency or or theme? Carrying no, on there? no. Mm, I don't really think about that stuff much. Uh, cool. with, uh, with being, I guess, it's just I just just make the noise, make the noise that I think sounds good, and that. I haven't always enjoyed myself, but sometimes I enjoy, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like, uh, I think that's why I call the project being too, is very, nobody knows what that means. It could mean a million different things. And I kind of like the idea of just sort of stripping away all the focus of themes and imagery and just, this is being, and yeah, it's just the noise. Yeah. Yeah. So like any kind of like, t- uh, titles I've come up with for releases have been, Oh, just silly, like personal things I've thought about to myself, like nothing really that important or, um, yeah. Sure. But what about a recording you're particularly like proud of, or you think is like super strong? in your catalog um, i like uh to fall in love with your own reflection the double tape that came out uh dear girl called wendy yeah yep. um that's like one of my favorite ones it was just i like sonically how it ended up uh that was completely edited on a tape deck and that was really the only time i ever edited a release like that um, yeah. and so I think it, because it was edited that way, it became a lot more of a collage cut up sort of recording. Um, and I was just really proud of how it turned out and 
just the amount of work that went into it. And I think the end result was a little bit, was more meaningful to me than just uh, a release I edit on a computer. Um, so that's one of my favorite ones, I think. Um, definitely like the later uh, stuff I did, like the split with Kekerlack, I think is pretty good yeah. material. And um, the hydro cracker tape on Oxen is like another highlight i think um i think it took this took me years and years to find my stride and uh like actually make stuff that i actually enjoyed listening to when i heard it um it takes a long time feel good about any, your work any any plans to reissue any of those because those are i don't have those and those are hard to come by and there there are people out there that really want those yeah there was um I think there's going to be a oxen at some point, whenever I get them, the material is putting out like a being uh, collection okay. of out of print and hard to find stuff. And so, um, yeah, sort of like uh, it's going to be hydro cracker is going to be on there as part of it. I think it's going to be a double CD, but then he asked me to submit other um, works that I thought needed to be reissued. So it's going to be a lot of like the, tour maybe some tour releases or limited stuff that didn't really make it out that much that i think is still good enough to be on a reissue cool yeah what about tefra oh yeah i don't know i would do that again What's someday yeah. what how does that differ from being uh it's a, it was always 100 percent tape based um like all the I, d I would use effects and stuff like that, but like the sort, the sound source was always a cassette. Um, so I, I guess I thought of it as like uh, my tape noise project or something, and um, and it allowed me to like explore non-harsh textures a little bit more, I think. And I mean, I think I kind of started it because of like Chop Shop, probably. I was really uh -huh. still love chop shop, but in the early days of noise, getting into noise, that was like a very influential project for me. Um, and it really made me appreciate sound, uh, to like a really high level, I think, because yeah, that project is not really like trying to be anything. It just sort of exists, you know, like the set, like that yeah. sort of, sound that chop shop goes for it's just the sound of noise and but it's really enjoyable textures and the way it's made and so i guess i was trying to do that with tefra where it was like not a harsh noise thing but just like appreciating sound on a different yeah. in a different way um what about the general like crossover from people you know at the record store checking out records um who don't know much about noise and kind of noticing this big presence of noise and experimental that you deal with. Do you get people that kind of are ever kind of drawn to it or, or maybe converted or come to shows that maybe wouldn't otherwise and kind of get hip to some of that stuff through, through knowing you and being around the record store? Yeah. Over the years, certainly 
people have gotten interested in it. I think just being going in there and seeing it and, um, definitely, um, you know, over time there's been new people coming out to shows that I, I have never met before through the noise scene previously anyway, which I think is really awesome. Um, oftentimes people come in and they just completely ignore the very abnormally large presence of cassette tapes and weirdly packaged things. And I just think that they don't get it and they don't really ask questions about it, you know? Um, sure. But sometimes people are just like, yeah, what is all this? What is this stuff? And, or they're like flip through records and like laugh at like the covers and the titles. Like, there was a girl that came in a few weeks ago and she was like showing her friend. She was like looking through the noise records and was showing her friend, a, a smell and quim record that came out on, uh, cheeses international, I think, but kind of more oh, recent yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. That's got the really funny cover. Cunty bubbles. Yeah. Cunty bubbles. Yeah. And she <laughs> And, and was like, Hey, come here, look at this. And it, and it was funny. Cause it was like something that she had seen in the store before. And she was seeking it out again, just to show her friend this funny cover. And then, so I like said funny. something to her, and she was checking out and she didn't buy it or anything, but I was like, Oh, I saw you checking out that smell and quim record. And she was just like, what? Like, I don't think she even knew what it was called, but she thought saw a uh-huh. bunch of cocks all over the cover and thought it was funny. So people, <laughs> you know, uh, interact with it in, in ways like that too. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And how, how, how do shows at the venue go? How's that been? That's been really good. Um, yeah, people are always very attentive and it's a very intentional audience that's there. Um, uh, I always like, I'm really strict about charging a cover now. Um, I used to be a little bit more loose about it back in the day and would just kind of like, you know, be a donation thing and people just c- could come in and check it out. But now I'm just way more strict about it. And I basically, you know, collect money at the door from people. So it kind of, uh, cuts back on the people just sort of stumbling in and checking stuff out. Um, but they're great. They're always really well attended, I think. And, um, just run a really tight ship now. Um, there's a good sound system and the shows go really fast. They usually only go from like seven to 9 PM and we can easily fit in like, you know, four or five acts in that time span. Um, yeah, they're, they're really good. Um, sometimes I, in a way it feels like, um, sterile compared to other, venue like noise venues um like a basement or something like that which i kind of like the casual feeling of having shows and places like that where it's a little more anything goes sort of vibe yeah um and it's pretty uh sterile is a harsh word but i I think it is a little sterile in the store because you're in a retail environment and you know do you ever feel like very protective, like, you know, cause yeah, I mean, people, sometimes people, people are often drinking. Yeah. They get stupid. Yeah. They have fun. They get loose, whatever. Um, you ever feel like kind of like protective, like, Oh fuck, people are going to, you know, dump a beer on a, I can imagine a uh, beer dumping into a open 
yeah shelf of records would be pretty uh frustrating yeah. and you know costly yeah i get anxious about that stuff certainly um but no now moshing. i think about what's that like a no moshing rule or something like that. <laughs> yeah yeah like i know i i do you know thankfully that's not really a an issue with shows at my store but um yeah i get a little anxiety ridden at shows for sure and just having a bunch of people in the store more people than normal and I think people are always really respectful of their surroundings when they're at shows there. And it's usually not a big deal, but yeah, it gives me some anxiety. Um, and that's why I try to keep it really like, keep it going fast and early to starting the shows early is yeah. a good thing. I think it like, cuts down on any kind of like potentially bad things happening. Sure. Um, you and I have toured before around the Midwest. I think we went out East and you've done a number of other tours kind of real, you know, kind of get in the van and, and, and slum it sleeping on floors, playing harsh noise basements for, you know, a week or two at a time. Obviously that didn't happen for a couple years but do you think that's back? Do you think people are doing that again? Like that kind of road dog kind of style touring? It seems like it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just maybe, I don't know. I feel like that's the thing within maybe the past year or so. You're starting to see people comfortably planning tours more and um, just with a lack of like a larger uh, outbreak virus outbreak there hasn't been one so i think people are just yeah i think they're getting back into that for sure um i get would you see yourself about, doing it again um yeah i think so i'm i'm getting older though so i'm a little bit more particular about the conditions of something like that um but yeah yeah i would do it for sure yeah um, I mean, I, I guess I'm going to do it soon in Europe with heat signature, exactly. yeah. more or less. will be road dogging it, as you say. Yeah, uh, that's going to be intense. What are some of your What are some of your strongest memories of of doing like being tours of of satisfying elements and things that also maybe went horribly wrong that you really wish would have gone otherwise. Hmm. Um, hmm. Trying to think here. I mean, the tour that we went on, there was some good and not so good memories from that. (laughs) There's a lot of ups and downs with that one. I feel like, (laughs) I think that was like a 50, 50. I feel like every kind of little tour I've been on has been like one show's good. One show's shit. One show's good. One show. It's like, it's like goes back and forth like that yeah i mean that was uh that was fun because that was the first tour that i had ever been on and i think that was your first tour as well right i think so yeah 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 for sure yeah Yeah, it was um and yeah some not really (laughs) just funny like thinking about that 
All I can think about was that show in uh, Baltimore where I think that girl like fell asleep on me or something and you took a picture. <laughs> that was weird. That show uh, Baltimore was crazy too because it was like Kakerlak played. Mm-hmm. I think he brought like he knew quite a few people and brought like a lot of people were there at the beginning. I think to mm-hmm. see him. But they obviously yeah. weren't really there to see like him, like the noise side of him. They just kind of knew him, so they came. And then I think by the time he was done, like the room pretty much cleared out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Danny was, did the rest of us played to like pretty much no one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Danny from Legless played, and he played early. Yeah, we met him. I met him, and it was that was cool because didn't know him before then, and we were then quite close after a while we we like talked a lot like on the phone and stuff like after that for a while and he mm-hmm. played a cool set but then he had to bounce right away too and it was like it was like yeah. we i think yeah I think that, that was probably one of those situations where the the touring band sandwich or maybe cacklack played at the end but the touring band sandwich would have been the right way to go because i feel like we were then like the last block and it was like touring acts that no one in the city knew about and it was like mm-hmm we were playing to ourselves and a, and a handful of people. Chris, Trash Rachel Chris was there, which was... That Chris Morrison, yeah. That was a, a rare sighting. We we had to do collaborations at that uh, Pittsburgh show because uh, it got it was something really weird with the booking where it was exactly. unsure what was going to happen, I think. Um, and then it ended yeah. up... Like, something like another show got merged with ours, maybe and we ended up doing collaborations together i remember freaking out that night and thinking like how much i just wanted to leave and go get a hotel room somewhere it's because yeah. i was just like it's gonna happen we should just leave um but then I it did you and know, was, pat were both on that kind of like fuck this thing and it was i mean that's mm-hmm. that le- that's what i'm talking about that that level of touring i think it'd be someone should make a documentary about that kind of stuff like the kind of level of touring where like you literally don't even know if the show is happening when you arrive, you know, like you arrive somewhere and yeah. you're like, do they even know that we're like playing or that the shows, is this even the right place? You know, like, yeah, it felt very uncertain that night. And that would have been a good, <laughs> good episode. I remember we got pizza before too. And I was like, man, that is the worst fucking pizza I've ever had in my life. I don't know how pizza can be bad, but it was bad. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, that is interesting because that that was Pittsburgh, and I do remember that show being kind of pretty shit. But I do remember that city being like so beautiful to me. Like driving, I didn't know what to expect. We were driving through Pennsylvania, which was very pretty, and then like you drive through all these mountains, these tunnels in the mountains, and then you come on the other side, and like finally drove through this long <laughs> tunnel, and then come on the other side of the mountain. It's just like drops Damn. down, and the and you're on this like bridge, and the whole city is there. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful and like going down like the 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 motorway, like the, the exit into like these little kind of like really like kind of blue collar hilly industrial neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I remember we ate something. I don't remember being bad, but I remember just staying there in the street eating some like something from some like grill or whatever and just being like, fuck, this place is beautiful. This place is awesome. Yeah. And then yeah, the show was the show was weird but <laughs> yeah that uh thinking about that tour a little bit more is man that tour is really important in a, uh, a lot of a lot of ways i think for me personally like 
that I remember at the Chicago show, that was the first time I had met Joe Lombardo and I had written with him a little bit before that. That was the first right. time I'd met him in person. Um, so that was really cool. And that was also when we played in Columbus. Now that I think about it, that was the first time I had met Brad Griggs too. Um, wow. Really? Yeah. So that we've are great friends now and have been for years and obviously bandmates together in heat signature. So that, uh, tour had more impact than, than I thought it did after thinking about it. For sure. I mean, I think stuff like that always has huge impact and huge positive. I mean, even if there are negative consequences, negative effects at the time or things feel shit at the time and the whole thing's a failure, there's still so many positive things that come from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like great. Life-changing things you know, like that you don't really realize till later. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the fest that they were doing in New York? Uh, Oh, 10 years ago or so, or it was like maps, I guess is what I'm thinking of. But I remember one time I played that fest and, um, immediately going to Texas, like the next day to do like a little mini tour with, um, Karen Aurora and the sisters and wrong hole. Yeah. We did like a little, I think, no, wait, yeah. uh, no, wait, is nine on that tour? No. Damn. I think it was that one was just me and Kieran Roar and uh, Patrick that does the sisters. But yeah. anyway, that was a real like whirlwind thing where I like played the show at Maps and then got into a taxi and went to the airport and felt like a rock star, you know, like intense <laughs> <laughs> night of uh, not very much sleep and traveling a lot. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, touring's the best. It's like that's really important, you know important experience for people to have i mean it is true i mean i i do get what you're saying about like the you know being older and like you can't really accept some of those conditions anymore and i mean i gotta respect pat for coming along with that that first one with us because he was a bit older and old man with like a nice home and a nice life and yeah and then he got thrown back into that ugly mix of (laughs) yeah uh, it was cool because he rented his own. He rented his own car. We like all shared a car, and he was like, "I gotta rent my own." He rented his own like SUV or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, we were all like kids with no money, and he had some. You know, he's the career man who had the the budget for something like that. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you, I totally get that now. It's like, well, I got that at the time too, but like, you can't. You don't want to fuck with that kind of shit at some point anymore. Yeah, I guess I don't mind doing it every once in a while. I, I like going into a situation knowing that there's going to be a certain level of uh, um, good thing, uh, good uh, positive attributes about the whole deal. You know, whether like in the venue, yeah. like knowing that the show is going to be good, there's going to be a good lineup, there's going to be a good sound system. Yeah. Um, yeah. The place we're going to stay at is like decently livable you know like right having just some sort of standard is is good and healthy i think you know well i hope that you have good experience in europe i think i I think i've talked about this on the podcast a couple times but i I get the sense that it's here there's just generally more of a kind of a culture of like 
taking care of some basic things when you book someone like maybe mm -hmm. not money but like something to eat at least and mm -hmm. some beers or whatever or you know and a place to stay i know sometimes playing in the u.s there's none of that like yeah you know you arrive somewhere it's not like someone's like hey welcome guys we got you like have let, 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 let's order some pizzas like what do you guys want or like whatever it's like you show up and you just you fend for you totally fend for yourself and i i do feel like here there's more just basic consideration of kind of basic things and i hope you experience that when you come yeah future. yeah yeah i hope so too i think it'll be uh so far it seems like it's very promising how it's gonna turn out and um I mean, at the very least, we'll just enjoy it as sort of a hectic vacation, yeah. you know, noise vacation, I guess. Um, yeah. be a little intense uh, traveling around um, and all the logistics of all that stuff, and um, I'm a little nervous about that because we're covering a lot of ground in a pretty short amount of time, but um, I'm sure it'll work out just fine, though. Yeah. You've been... Um you've been overseas a couple of times. You've been to Europe too, and you've played in Japan, right? Yeah. I went to Europe and played a couple of shows there, like in 2012. And I was with Mikkel Rorbo. Yeah. Who was doing Ali Pisser, I think on that tour. Yeah, he was, he wasn't doing his like other newer project, but, uh, yeah, so we just played Copenhagen and uh, Gothenburg. We just played two shows. And then um, I kind of went off on my own and then met up with my wife, Kathleen, who came like a, a week or so after I got to Europe. Cool. So, yeah, I played in Europe a couple times before and then went to Japan and played there a couple times too. What's Japan like? It's great. It's I really love it as a visitor and a tourist. It's, I love it. Yeah. I just want to keep going back there and not really go other places, even though I do like to travel a lot and check, check out other places, but I love Japan. Um, it's just, I don't know the, everything about it. The noise aspect is awesome because yeah, it's not really that much different uh, as far as the amount of people involved, you know, compared to other scenes around the world, I think. But uh uh, people that do it there are very serious about it and uh, make sure that they do really good and that there's just a high level of quality with everything in Japan, generally speaking. People just, uh, there's, everything is just sort of better in a lot of ways. Just, um, I mean, like the, the artists, you know, they make more of an effort to, perform really good sets and because there's a lot of competition there a lot of the art, people performing it's just a high standard set and yeah. so and uh you know like a lot of time not always but most of the time the venues like the sound system is incredible just just because that's the level of standard there you mentioned your brother um nate and orgasmic response unit he also does diaphragmatic uh, his mm -hmm. solo project. Uh, what's he up to these days and how's he doing? He's doing well. He lives in, um, Vietnam now. Um, uh, where, 
why can't I think of the town he lives in? Um, he did live in Hanoi, but I can't remember the place he lives in now with his wife. But he has a baby, and is this working there now? He's work. Uh, they're working on immigrating back to the U.S. They're in the process of that, which is so that's their ultimate plan is to move back to the U.S. Yeah. But he's uh, busy there with. He still does noise. He doesn't really put out releases that much, but um, he plays live pretty regularly. Um, really? Yeah. And there's like a bit of a scene there. And um, yeah, it sounds like it's pretty good. Like he's, it's active enough where I see him playing shows and he's enjoying it and networking with other people there. He said the last show he played, they had a function one sound system. Which I don't know if you know anything about Function One PAs, no. but they're like these really, really high-end like club PAs that you like see in like big dance clubs in Berlin and Tokyo and nice. stuff like that. But so I was like envious that he got to play through a Function One sound system. Sick. Yeah. Any uh, any ideas or plans to do orgasmic response unit again? Yeah, definitely want to continue that. We've talked about it, um, but really, I think we both want it to be like an in-person thing. Um, yeah. I think that that's a big part of it is us playing together in person. I'm not, I'm not a fan of uh, mail order or uh, not mail order, but mail collabs. Um, this doesn't really work for me that well. So I like playing in person with people and really only want to do it that way. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, whenever he comes back, I would love to resume it we just haven't had really many opportunities at all to to play together in like the last several years just because of him being overseas and whenever he's home it's like he can't bring equipment here and so on but yeah we've done it a little bit here and there when we did the last interview i asked you your top five noises of all time right i did Mm -hmm. um I'm not going to ask you that again, but since you work in a record store, that's a general, you know, okay. I'm going to ask you a different question. I'm going to ask you your top five records of all time. Dude, that's tough. That's like harder than the noise question. <laughs> hmm. Um, hmm. Damn. Uh, okay. Let me think about it for just a second. Top five records yeah. of all time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. And then just for, uh, you, okay, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, I was going to say Velvet, Under, Velvet Underground and Nico. I think I can put that as my number one. Mm-hmm. So it kind of been my number one for a long time. Um, Hmm. <laughs> Probably a Sonic Youth record. Uh, damn, I don't know which one though. <laughs> that's a that's tough to ask. Uh, so, uh, okay. Slayer, Show No Mercy. That would be in my top five too. I've listened to that like as many times as Velvet Underground and Nico. Probably right now, I'd say uh, another one would be Soft Cell, Nonstop Erotic Cabaret, being in the top five, too. 
Uh, DJ Shadow introducing. That would be a, a fifth one that I would toss in there. Okay, cool. And that would change a lot. That list would change over and over again, but this is stuff yeah, I Yeah, I'm sure. Um, then the, the, the next thing I want to ask you, which which I think would maybe even be more interesting, is what are your top five like records that have come out in the past year, non-noise? Because I'm really, really interested and un, I have zero real idea of what's going on in the like general media. <laughs> music world yeah. of new music right? um, besides a few genres and stuff like that what, what are five records that you know past year in a in a, maybe across across some genres that you really that are important to know about that your favorite i don't think i can answer that question either i don't really like new music that much <laughs> okay. so you're not you're not like you're not really like into and up on like the new stuff that's coming out no, I, I'm not. I don't. Yeah, there's. I can't honestly can't think of even one thing. I don't think that. I can't even think of one thing. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to new releases. Sometimes I hear stuff and it sounds pretty cool, but I just don't really. I just don't care about it. I don't know why. Nothing really excites okay. me. With, I just. I, I just. I just kind of figured as a as a record store owner that you'd be forced to just kind of like be up on that even if even if you weren't interested you know i know that new vinyl is kind of a thing probably and you probably i don't know i don't know how much of that you get probably not that much but it's like i know that's the thing oh beyonce record on on vinyl and all that stuff i mean i'd imagine you stock some of that as a just a you know because you know people want to buy it but i mean yeah yeah I, i mean i picked up on what's popular with people for sure like current music was popular but i don't really know much of anything about it i I don't really listen to like new pop music but i carry Billie eilish and taylor swift and all the other people i don't think i've ever listened to any of their music ever though but i know people people like to buy it so um yeah i just don't i don't like the way new music sounds really yeah. This is like the production thing. I prefer, I like the sound of older music. Yeah. Uh, music from the 70s and 80s, particularly. I like the production value of it. And so I just think a lot of new stuff sounds like shit, basically. It just sounds, I don't know, it doesn't yeah. appeal to my ears for some reason. Um, yeah. So. How much of music that people buy in your store are you like, Oh, that's you got good taste. That's cool. And how much are you like? Oh, that's so stupid. I like <laughs> r- ratio wise, roughly, you know, like <laughs> uh, it's probably maybe like twenty five percent of the time. I think that people are buying cool stuff. I mean, it just depends on the <laughs> customer. You know, I'm pretty. I'm really open-minded about what people enjoy and I just think people should enjoy whatever they want to, I guess, even if I don't like it. Um, yeah, but certainly, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that people buy and I'm like, great. Thank you. That pays the bills. Like yeah, whatever they're buying, even if I don't like it or whatever, I used to be like really picky about the types of, uh, records I would have in the store. And now we're just kind of like, loosening things up a little bit and pricing stuff that 
I wouldn't have priced before, but people want. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it just depends on the customer. Do you think, you, know. you mentioned in the beginning, like, um, kind of the do, dealing with noise as a business commodity kind of has, you know, killed or like killed a bit of the magic for you. Is that, you also mentioned though that working at a record store has opened your mind to a lot of music and, and expanded mm-hmm. your horizons, but has it also kind of like done the same thing in a way to music in terms of making it a commodity that you're less excited about it? Yeah. I feel like a certain detachment from the, the greater world of records in a way. Um, then I do noise cause I feel like it's more of a personal connection I have with it than other stuff. Um, so, um, I think it's maybe easy to separate myself from that. There's a lot of stuff I, about the, you know, market of records that really bothers me a lot. Like I think everything is like getting way too expensive and unaffordable and inaccessible to people. And, you know, you have these people like telling you, Oh, you know, you need to like, um, buy physical music and get off of streaming. Cause the artists don't get paid well enough from royalties, but it's like, that's not practical for most people. What's practical is paying yeah. $10 a month for a, a streaming subscription. So they can just fucking listen to this music and not have to pay $35 for one album on vinyl, you know? Um, so not to mention the second, secondhand industry, they don't see anything. Right. Yeah. However, I think that that does a job in uh, perpetuating uh, general fandom with, with bands and sure, 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 sure. You know, if, yeah, somebody's gonna, yeah, the artist doesn't get royalty checks from secondhand sales, but at least people will, it'll generate interest in, in their oh, band course, or whatever. Of course, of course. Of course. Um, but, yeah, I was, I, I, I was talking to a guy, uh, a guy who orders a ton for my distro and he, I think he, he runs, he runs or owns a record store in Portugal and I don't know, I was chatting with him at one point and just like, you know, when I do these distro updates, sometimes, sometimes I can be like, it's, it is like over overwhelming or it's like, I'm, I'm like sitting here like for a day, you know, like with a stack of shit I need to add in and just like typing it in, finding the picture online, you know, like it's like data entry and I'm just like, fuck. And I was kind of, I was kind of like bitching about it to him a little bit and he was like, but I was like, you know, it's still cool because it's still like the stuff I love. But it's, sometimes it's just, it's so tedious to mm-hmm. to sell this stuff. And he's like, dude, imagine doing it with like indie rock records, like he does. Like he he does the same thing all day at his record yeah. store with genres of music he doesn't like at all, mm-hmm. or you know, and, yeah. and shipping them and all that. I mean, I think that I imagine that can all. I mean, at least when I get frustrated with. with dealing with noise it's still noise that i'm like yeah excited about but i think it could probably be very frustrating to have to be handling so much stuff that it's like fuck i hate this shit <laughs> i don't know yeah 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 and it's i don't know it's just like the the way the 
job goes. I mean, I love having a store. It's amazing. It's like I said, I, I absolutely love it, but yeah, there's certain parts I don't like about it or like selling music that I don't care about, but I'm able to separate that from the stuff that I really do care about and support push on people too. Like, that's cool. Yeah. I'll carry whatever record, like records I don't care about that other people want to buy. And I'm happy to provide that for them. But like, it's cool having things that you actually do like genuinely support and you can talk about it with authenticity, you know, and share that with other people. It's, It's great. That's very cool. That's, that's, that is a dream job. I mean, that's, that is what people dream about. And of course, everything is going to have annoying side effects, but that's really, really cool. Um, what do you think, what, what do you think is the long term, maybe not long term and the short long term future of physical media, record stores, streaming, all that kind of stuff? What, as, as kind of an insider, where do you see that all going currently? Um, you know, I think it's, it's not going to go anywhere for sure. It'll, it's not going to be totally phased out. Um, cause there's, um, more now than ever, it's obvious that there's a contingent of people that really having something to hold in their hands is very important. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's going well, um, despite just the stuff with like new vinyl, that's frustrating the co- the high cost and, but we're kind of experiencing that with all the different aspects of our lives, you know, with inflation and everything. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to hold out. I think there's going to be a resurgence in CDs for sure. Like a larger resurgence beyond just noise. And I feel like a noise right now, I feel like the CD is, is at the top of the game in a lot of ways. It's like, I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it's, I, I, I love it. I think it's a, best format and i think it should return also as 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 a main music format really mm-hmm. yeah i one thing i noticed is a lot of younger people coming in the store and buying cds and which is probably um a multifaceted thing i think i think it's because they have cars that still have cd players because they're these younger kids that are getting hand-me-down cars or cheaper cars that have cd players that they can't afford vinyl because they don't have enough money to buy records. Um, and then also I think it's becoming a a nostalgia thing for people too. Especially like young people, maybe not necessarily nostalgia because it, it's like nostalgia for something that they never experienced before. Cause if they're young enough and they're buying CDs, it's very likely that they grew up completely off of streaming, you know? Yeah. So, now they're getting into something kind of a novelty, like a CD, you know? Exactly. And that's, that's something I've been kind of oblivious to, but noticing more consciously recently. And I, I talked about this with Kenny on the interview with Kenneth Facial Mess that'll come out very soon too, um, is like this style, I don't know, like the I guess the Gen Z, like fashion style, everything that's cool like right now is like, seems to be like the kind of stuff that was cool when I was in high school. Yeah. Or, or, Mm -hmm. or, or younger, you know, like the, the, the hairstyles, the, it's like the early two thousands shit, you know, kind of like nostalgia. And that's, that's again, 
now for kids that never experienced it, you know, tribal tattoos. I even seen like, like kind of hipster modern, like art hipster kind of design, like this kind of tribal, like neo tribal kind of patterns start coming back in a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. I don't know. How I feel about it, but it's definitely there. I mean, it's definitely a huge thing. I think CDs are a big part of that. Yeah. 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 It's certainly part of that. Um, yeah. Nineties, like culture sort of fetishism, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything's cyclical. So of course it was yeah. going to come back around, you know, and it's a lot as CDs specifically are like records are a lasting format because they've been around since like the early eighties, I think I feel like 82 or something. Maybe it was a year that CDs first came out. So they've been around for uh, 50 years we're not, not 50 years, um, 40 years, you know, so it's not going anywhere. I don't think it's going to yeah. die out or anything like that. I think that's great. I think people, I mean, I like records, but I think ultimately with all the new vinyl, people are going to hopefully eventually learn to cut the bullshit that new vinyl is pretty much pointless in terms of when you have a, album of new music that was produced, you know, totally digitally and, and all, you know, everything like that to press it on like some kind of substandard quality vinyl for yeah. an exorbitant amount of money that doesn't do the material justice. I think CDs mm-hmm. are like, CDs are the perfect, like, like gate or the perfect missing link between the, the fidelity of, you know, the original, recording which mm-hmm. you know it can be a nice warm recording whatever do what you want to do in the studio but but the i don't see a need to add like a a layer of color to that recording in many cases i mean the the old records yes of course i mean that, that had a really it has a really nice effect but that blend but then you still have a physical object that can be really special and nice and it can have the same all the same charm as a, as an LP, I think. I mean, it's okay. It's a little, it's smaller and you know, whatever, but it can still have just that same, for me, it has that same nostalgia. Cause I mean, I grew up getting a CD as a kid and I still love opening the booklet of a CD, having CDs mm-hmm. to throw on. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think they're really the best format. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, from an economic standpoint, it's totally nonsensical. Like new new records. Um because yeah, you can buy the CD counterpart for a fraction of the price, literally a fraction of the price of a the vinyl counterpart. And yeah, it's weird how there's a culture well, of, like especially if you're going to cut like an album in in half like the CD format, I love it. Like you can at least design your album how you want to make it. You can have it be one long track. You can have it be you know th- three twenty minute tracks. As soon as you say, "Hey, let's put this on vinyl," it's like, okay, what do we want to? What what can we chop off or truncate yeah. or how do we place it so it fits on vinyl? I mean, when when albums were written for vinyl back then, that's one thing because they were like, okay, we have the we have to write this album to be able to fit on this but now you yeah. don't have to and so i think putting something forcing something on a vinyl that wasn't made for vinyl is like 
I don't know. Yeah. No, that's, that's like, yeah, frustrating. And it doesn't make any sense really. Like, and you see like these like reissues of stuff, like no offense to Hiroshima or Hiroshima, however you say it, but uh, I love that label. He does really, really important work with like reissuing stuff, but sometimes it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would a Masana reissue that was a CD come out as an LP? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. It belongs as a CD the way it was supposed to be, you know, that came out originally. And there's no way that something like Masana is going to sound better on a record than it does on a CD because it absolutely just like destroys on a CD and that can't match what a record can do. So there's like stuff like that where I'm just kind of like, this is just doesn't make any sense. And it's purely a vinyl fetishism thing. That's just kind of annoying. Like for sure. Yeah. I kind of think of records in a little bit more of a practical sense. I mean, I certainly like collecting them a lot. I love collecting stuff, but like now more than ever, I see records as tools because I'm just, you know, doing a lot of DJing recently. And so, Oh, cool the way that I look at records is like to be used um, and as like you know, tools basically for yeah. at least on DJing anyway. And so what about the current mainstream uh, situation with cassettes? Because I've sort of heard that cassettes are also trying to be kind of brought back in a novelty way by major labels and major artists. Is that something you're seeing? I've never really seen it. I don't really, go to record stores Um, around here but yeah it seems like that is kind of happening i don't really buy any of that stuff because the the wholesale costs are like ridiculous you know when you're like i heard heard someone saw a a britney spears tape at an urban outfitters for like 18 dollars yeah, that's like a um, regular retail price with a new tape so you know when you've been steeped in, in cassette culture with noise for many, many years. And then you see like a distributor send out a solicitation for, yeah, like a tape version of something. And then the wholesale is $12. And it's like, fuck off. I know how much it costs. (laughs) Okay. And I know what tapes sound like too. (laughs) And that's certainly not worth it. Like that's, yeah. So I don't really care. I don't care any of that stuff, but. Okay. Yeah. That's just something I've been Uh, interested in. And I, I, also kind of tied into like the issues I've been having with the, like the quality of blank tapes and things like that. And I'm wondering, you know, are they shutting down production? Are they just skimping on production? Are they make them differently. And I'm just curious if, if maybe that resurgence of, of kind of like popularity or kind of novelty of tapes could somehow also help the, the market for, for you know cassette decks and blank blank materials and just like the the raw materials if they would maybe oh invest more money into kind of maintaining that format and keeping it alive but i don't know if that's really true i mean i bet i bet they're not really trying to make those things sound good they're just kind of make them sound yeah yeah i kind of doubt yeah it seems like it's a strange time because it is like um you know we're out of like the period where cassettes were prominent and a lot of them were being made and probably more um, attention and focus was put into the production. And so there was higher quality products and then like it basically went away after a while. And then 
there's places like duplication.ca, which seem to be making like a big effort to like improve the quality of the, all that stuff of like duplication and the actual media itself. And so it does seem like there's a little bit more of an effort to yeah. improve things in general, but yeah. this is just one thought I just had, I just want to throw out there too. It's interesting to think about like physical media now, because now we're completely out of an age of it existing out of necessity, you know? So that's totally gone now. And that yeah. was a huge part of like, why people had all that stuff, you know, because yeah. you had to. It was the yeah. only way you could listen to it outside of listening to music on the radio. And now it's purely, um, I don't know, it's like a, a preferential thing or it's nostalgia and fetishism. I don't know, it's strange. Yeah. Because it's not necessary to, at all anymore. Yeah. I mean, no, it's not. But I mean, I for for certain genres of music, I mean, personally, it's mainly tied to budget, my money. If I had a lot of money, I would probably and in space and you know knew okay, I'm gonna be here for a long time and blah blah. blah and I have a house. Um, I would probably collect much much more music on physical media. Mm-hmm. But since I don't, um it's always kind of been like to me noise is like the format I need to have on physical media. Yeah. I've gotten sometimes in the habit of listening to stuff online or, you know, kind of to sample it and, you know, the practicality can come in handy sometimes, but it's still not, it's still noise has to be physical format for me. Um, but yeah. I really am totally used to pretty much every other type of music. Cause I don't really care about most other types of music as much as noise. They're more kind of like entertainment, I guess for me, or just something, you know, so I'm much more interested, like happy now to like, just listen to whatever I feel like listening to otherwise on a streaming platform, you know, like that doesn't, Mm -hmm. that doesn't bother me, but yeah, but noise has got to be physical format for me, for sure. Yeah. I guess these things have gotten more complicated over time. You know, how do we, uh, now that we're in this new age where, yeah, just uh, physical media exists for different reasons than it used to. Um, yeah. And people like will listen to certain types of music on a certain form format. You see that too, or like, yeah. which is really fascinating, you know, that, because I'm like you, I don't, I won't, I don't stream noise at all. I don't, I've never done the Bandcamp thing. I've never, like, I just don't have a situation where I'm digitally listening to music or like streaming, I guess. Like, um, you know, at work, I'm listening to records all day. We don't, we don't stream music or anything. And I know that's how a lot of people listen to their music is when they're working, they're streaming it, but you know. Yeah. We just play records. That's just the way it is. I, I listen to CDs in my car. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't absorb noise that way either. I'm never sitting down at my computer to listen to music ever. That's not a part of my listening routine. Yeah. I do kind of think sometimes about the, you know, the economic factor of it though. I mean, I do f- feel like, 
it is i mean i think some sort of gatekeeping in in noise is important but not based on people having money or not you know mm. and i think like to f- focus on also like oh you it's not the real thing unless you can buy the unless you buy the tape or you have the tape or the cd mm-hmm. um i don't like the idea I feel I, I do feel that connection to the media, but I don't like the idea. Like I, I do like the idea of people being able to engage in noise without having like tons of money to spend on collecting the objects. Mm-hmm. I do though how I do, however, like realize that okay, we're not really mostly talking about like really poor people and you know, usually you can prioritize your budget and if noise is something you love that much, even if you're barely getting by, you might spend your extra little scratch on some noise tapes. And those are going to be like super important for you. And, you know, you don't necessarily need to have the completest collection of everything, but that is, I, I do think that, I do think that, financial element of commitment to something brings a certain amount of seriousness to it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the, I mean, the, it, the, the thing that Dillaway said, which was quite interesting that I didn't never thought of, but, you know, I asked him why, why do you think, you know, there was that kind of lull in noise activities after the mid two thousands, you know, no fun kind of boom. And he his first answer was like it was connected with the 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 markets crashes of those times and that it just hit the noise scene a few late few years later because you know noise noise people were pretty resilient they would have money for you know beer weed and noise tapes and nothing else Mm -hmm. you know after they pay their rent and then eventually the economics caught up to them and they only had money for beer and weed Mm-hmm. and that was like the main yeah. reason for the the slump in the in the in, in the scene and activity which i i don't know if i really can i doubt it's really that that material but i don't know maybe that's a lot more connected than we think you know the global what's going on globally is uh maybe affecting things a lot more than we think you know uh, I mean, certainly with a pandemic, like that was a global thing that was heavily affecting what was going on in, in the noise scene in many different ways. Yeah. Like financially and creatively, you know, cr- creatively speaking, um, people having more time. And so, yeah, maybe larger world events affect affect things like noise than more than we think they do, you know? They probably, yeah, they really probably do. I mean, I, I, I do. That's what I think about a lot is just that where are we headed with, you know, physical formats in the next few years within noise at least because like things are just getting like tapes are getting so expensive to make, mm-hmm. they're getting more expensive to buy, um, and it was always kind of like, you know, cost some money, but it was like a pretty easy early like easy entry ticket like when i discovered noise i discovered tronics right away and was able to get so many killer cds for so cheap Mm -hmm. 
and you know he had them for five bucks a piece i think like postpaid yeah and that's basically unheard of now and then tapes were like six i mean even if you didn't have much money you could still find a bit of money to get some noise tapes each month but when they're heading into you know 10 you know it's like i think noise i think in terms of the cost i think 10 10 bucks is a pretty reasonable price to sell a tape for these days like i used to think that was absurd when people would sell tapes for 10 bucks but now it's like when you know what what it costs now it's like yeah 10 bucks is kind of like what it should cost or you know somewhere around there Mm -hmm. um but you know at some point we can't not everyone's gonna be able to afford all the at least the amount of noise that likes to get you know like that likes to get released if things creep into those prices and you can you can rationalize paying 12 bucks on a certain special noise tape from a certain special label or artist or whatever you know hospital is one of those labels that they can price them pretty much whatever and they'll sell i mean there's other artists that can do that but not everyone can do that not everyone should if everyone starts to try to do that we're gonna be in trouble or at least it'll change change things in a big way Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's definitely like affected my sales with noise stuff. I'm sure you've seen that too. Just like the the high price on things now, it's things don't sell as quickly as they used to. Mm-hmm. At least as far as like cassettes are concerned, you know, it's definitely way harder to sell a tape that costs twelve dollars versus even ten dollars or eight eight dollars, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, CD production remains inexpensive and people just use that. And cause I think it's like the easier, at least for me, I guess to be willing to spend $10 or, you know, $10 on a CD versus $10 on a tape. Absolutely. What else you got coming up in the pipeline? If anything, like, you know, what's a, what's skeleton dust? I mean, skeleton dust has been pretty slow lately, but you've been putting out stuff here and there. It's been pretty cool. Got anything yeah. in the pipeline for skeleton dust right now? Yeah, there's a few things I'll I'll mention. I'm not. I think they're going to come out uh, within the next like few months, ideally. Uh, but CD releases, of course. Um, so there's going to be a new album for Bell Association. It's going to be a CD on skeleton dust. Um, I'm going to do a re- reissue of the Heat Signature and Glass Half uh, Dark Relief uh, tour tape that we put out for PD. Um, and then I'm doing uh, two, just just pin this down recently, but two uh, reissues for Cosmoto Indo uh, while you were out and Brick and Mortar. Those are going to be reissued. So, yeah, That's huge. Yeah. And it was kind of like a thing, like, why hasn't this happened already? I can't believe I'm the first person that's ever asked him to reissue this stuff. <laughs> Cause those things have been tough to that's get for huge. a while. And they're absolutely essential albums. in my opinion, I honestly don't think I've ever heard brick and mortar. Uh, it's incredible as good, if not better than while you were out. I'm stoked. And, that's great. Yeah. So those are in the works now. And uh, while you're out, it's going to be, I'm, I basically want it to be like a copy of the original, just because I think the visual design of the original release can't get any better than what it yeah. is. It's like exactly. iconic, 
I don't want to change anything about it. But uh, there's going to be some like additional like bonus um, like photos that are going to be included that didn't make it on the original release. So, and I'm still working out like how the brick and mortar is going to be because I I don't have access and neither does Endo to like the art files. So I'm trying to track down the guy that originally released that and uh, hopefully get the art files from that. Um, but it's more or less going to be the same. I don't want to change the artwork or anything. Cool. Right. Yeah. And then we have the, uh, yeah, heat signature European tour that's coming up in late April. Yeah. Where are you so, playing? Uh, so we're playing the crude transmissions festival and that's kind of the impetus for the trip. Yeah. Um, and then we're also playing in court Rick, uh, Belgium the day after. Cool. And then there's a show in clone that's happening the day after that. And then, uh, playing Ostrava, in Chechia, which is I don't know, I was recommended that that over Prague for some reason. Um, oh, okay, cool. So we're playing there and playing Warsaw and then Berlin and then Malmo, Stockholm, and Gothenburg. I'm not sure if that's the correct order, but we're playing those towns. Okay. So and a couple of those bills are going to be shared with uh, yeah, Pain Appendix and Worth because they're going to be there at the same time as us. So yeah playing the fest and i think show or two afterwards so awesome yeah great well that's uh that's great news uh, i appreciate you talking with me yeah thanks uh, for having me back i appreciate it and you're uh you're doing uh, god's yeah. work with the podcast oscar for sure it's <laughs> like a super important thing and hope uh, you. you know that people really appreciate it a lot what you do thank you very much appreciate that cool well then uh, take care and we'll talk soon alright thanks Bye. in the extended segments of this interview that you can find on Patreon Luke talks about his approach to stocking controversial material at the store as well as a bit on the current East Palestine Ohio train disaster go to patreon.com slash white noise to see that extended segment as well as lots of other exclusive content Thank you to all who support, big shout out to the Maniac Circle, and an extra special thank you to the heavy sponsors of this podcast. Really appreciate all of you.